you're going to speak to the police, then tell them that there's something happening in this airport that may endanger human lives. Things are not always what they seem. Comedian tours are not quite what they seem either. I believe comedian tours to be merely a front, a cover. For what? For the mass kidnapping of young people. Never deliver any passengers. They say they pick up young passengers to take them up to other places, but none of them ever arrive anywhere. One step here and I'll blow you off the smithereens. That doctor is a menace to our plans. Then we must kill him. Oh, doctor! Don't you do anything to stop it? No. You wanted to know what was the secret of Chameleon Tours? Well, Inspector? See for yourself. Back to Who and Company as we kick off year five. I'm Brent. And I'm Drew. It's episode 49, and we are continuing our tradition of having our co hosts from the Doctor Who podcast stop by to discuss a Doctor Who episode. So, James and Michelle are joining us this month to discuss the recently animated feature, The Faceless Ones. We discuss the story, the animation, and how well this holds up as a second Doctor classic adventure. And that's coming up right after this. Your passport, please. You don't understand. We, we have something important to report. Yes, sir. When you found your passport. The next one, please. What's a passport, Doctor? Some sort of official mumbo-jumbo. Look! We just discovered a, a dead body out there. Did you hear me? Well, sir, if I were you, I'd inform the police. Then please tell me where we can find them. There's probably a policeman in the main concourse. And where is that? Through this door and turn to your left. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Come on, Steve. May I see your passport, sir? We neither of us have passports! Now, does that satisfy you? I think you must be mistaken, sir. You couldn't have got on the aircraft without passport. What aircraft? The one you arrived on, sir. We didn't arrive on an aircraft. Now, look here, sir. This joke's gone far enough. You know and I know that you must have arrived here on the last inbound flight, which was flight number 729 from Madrid. Welcome to Who and Company, Season 5, or, for our UK listeners... DWP Special Episode 13. Now, it may have seemed impossible at times, but here we are in 2021. As is our custom, we're letting old acquaintances not be forgotten in the new year. So joining us again to kick off a new season are James and Michelle from the DWP. James and Michelle, welcome back to Who and Company. Hey, it's great to be here. Wouldn't be a new year without it. That's right. (laughs) It certainly would not. Um, It's really glad to have you folks with us uh, to spend what we like to do, a little something different to start off each new season, and that's to have you on, our very first guests for Who and Company, to spend less time not talking Doctor Who and more time talking Doctor Who, something that our listeners seem to enjoy. <laughs> before we uh, before we move on to the episode in question, 
whether it's season five, season one, or, well, anything in general, we have, over the last ooh, 10 months or so, started every episode by just checking in to see how everyone is doing during this, the lockdown, second lockdown, third lockdown for some, the quarantine or pandemic in general, or what is now the remnants of 2020's germ fest. Ah, uh, how are you folks doing? Michelle, how are you doing? I am doing very, very well. Um, in the last year, I moved into a new place in uh, southeast Tennessee. It is uh, a wonderful location with wonderful people, new work. My family and I have managed to stay healthy so far. That always seems like a day-by-day -day thing these days, but um, spent six hours in lined up in a car in freezing weather to get my 80 year old father vaccinated a week ago but uh you know we're, we're making progress james how about you yeah um it, first of all i think it's probably worth pointing out the difference between who and company and the doctor who podcast i like the way you actually care about people you record with um, whereas <laughs> when, when we start it's a case of right never mind about that let's just get on and talk about Doctor Who so uh, yeah it's a slightly alien environment for me um, I'm I'm fine um, as you and listeners may know I live in central London uh, this is lockdown 3.0 for us and you know each, each of the lockdowns have varied in terms of what you're allowed to do and what you're not allowed to do but this is probably the second most strict uh, and um, draconian uh, to use a who related word uh, but it's it seems to be having an impact um, and I think there seems to be acceptance that it's it's necessary um, but me personally I'm at home a heck of a lot more than uh, I'm, I'm used to I'm with my family a heck of a lot more than they are used to and um, we, we haven't killed each other which is always a, a low benchmark perhaps but it's it, it's it's something that we're um, I suppose uh, have become acclimatized really um, my, my commute now uh, features a flight of stairs and that is it you know I, I <laughs> so it's 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 different uh, good side of things I get to see a lot more television in my downtime and uh, for, for, for example I watched a whole six parts of Doctor Who this afternoon which uh, is something that I would never have had an opportunity to do um, had Boris Johnson not ordered me to stay indoors um, so you know swings and roundabouts but uh, on the whole I haven't got insane just yet but uh, it's it's no longer uh, an impossibility uh, depending on how long this goes on I would say. Well, maintaining one's sanity is certainly uh, a benchmark that one hopes to achieve. Brent, buddy, how are you holding up? Well, it's kind of sucked lately. Uh, <laughs> I, I caught the COVID. Um, started showing symptoms on the second, tested positive on the third, and it lasted till about the fourteenth. So, I have never been so sick in my life. It was terrible, mm -hmm. but uh, much better now. Uh, as far as TV, I wasn't really up to watching a lot of TV. That's how bad it was. Uh, wow. But I, I did That's catch up bad. on uh, Batman the Animated Series, uh, some Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> um, and for some reason, the Key to Time series, I love those stories, except for mm. Armageddon Factor, I guess. But uh, bef before all this, I've had a weird little uh, Christmas tradition that has nothing to do with Christmas uh, Back in December of 93 is when the Trial of the Time Lord um, 
VHS set came out and it had like three cassettes and a cool little cardboard TARDIS box. And that's the first time I saw it near the Christmas tree. So every year I watch at least a little bit of it. So I did that a little bit this year too. So <laughs> it's I, a weird I, tradition. I love that. I love that. Yeah. That's a great, great ritual. Yeah, and as for me, well, one, I'm I'm so glad to hear that you're feeling better. That's mm-hmm. such a relief. Thanks. Um, uh, I've I've tried to watch movies and can't do it. I've been watching uh, a rewatch of Scrubs. Uh, I've discovered the Scrubs podcast, which I think is brilliant, and so that's inspired me to go back. In fact, since Christmas, we have watched. We're now midway through the fifth season. It helps that the show is only 22 minutes long, and uh, so you can watch essentially three episodes in an hour. Um, I've watched a lot of Doctor Who in the last month. I've watched all the Christmas specials in preparation for some podcast. And uh, <laughs> just the other day, I watched um, all of Time Flight for a different podcast. And I'm watching Paradise Towers later on this evening for Ooh, uh, an anthology. Paradise Towers? God. Yes. There's a pandemic. What? The world is bad enough. <laughs> one of them is one of my favorite Doctor Who episodes from the classic series. I have not um, seen that one yet. That's I have not seen oh, Paradise Towers. Oh, Michelle, <laughs> I cannot wait to discuss that particular story <laughs> with you, of all people, because I'm writing an essay now on... Um, Cannibalism. Uh, no, <laughs> on, on hidden Christian allegory in Doctor Who. Um, and that episode in particular is rife with it. Oh. Uh, and that will be coming out in a, in a future um, anthology theories. Uh, so, yeah. Otherwise, doing okay. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's interesting because for most of the pandemic, the only time that I've watched Doctor Who is either for the podcast or one of our podcasts when doing reviews um, or when the actual new series was on. But I haven't really been able to bring myself to do it. I kind of needed a break. And it's in the last month, I've, I've been watching so much of it and I, I kind of feel like I'm back I feel like that my fandom has been sort of in flux. You know, you know, Drew. I love to hear you say that because I feel the same way. Um, I, you know, as a lot of people know, I just spent three years getting a master's degree, master's of divinity, and I know that you are now in a master's program too, which is why you're writing papers. Being in a master's program takes over your entire life. There is absolutely no time for reading or writing anything other than whatever your assignments are, and. Having completed that program, even though I'm working full time now, I am stunned at the amount of time, <laughs> comparatively speaking, that I have had time to spend with Doctor Who. I, I have been. I started emailing James one day a couple weeks ago about all the things that I had lately watched and listened to. Mm. I have listened to a ton of Big Finish, and I've been reading, gone back and reading a lot of the old New Adventures and and past Doctor Adventures. And I've even getting into Bernie Summerfield now, so I'm branching off. But, but let's hear it for getting back into the fandom gene. It, 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 it's, <laughs> you, it's, you're, it's, make, you're making up for it. <laughs> well, what, what I find quite interesting is the fact that Michelle's just spent three years on a Masters of Divinity. So in other words, focusing almost exclusively on religious aspects of existence. Uh, she's now stopped that and started watching Doctor Who. And Drew, on the <laughs> other hand, has not had any chance whatsoever. <laughs> Uh, but to do anything religious orientated and he's now writing essays concerning religious allegories in Doctor Who so you kind of switch positions and between you I would imagine there's a book there surely how about you Brent can you contribute <laughs> uh, I'll read it 
<laughs> I'll buy it. Listen, uh, you know, it's, it. having having a book, writing a book is great, but if you don't have anyone to read it, then uh, I was going to say it's a moot point, but uh, for those who are academics, it's not. <laughs> you don't have to have anybody other. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, uh, surprisingly enough, my master's degree is not going to be in religious studies, though my undergraduate was. Uh, so uh, it is something that's always on my mind. Um, that being said, I, I feel like I was really prepped for January's episode, the one we're about to talk about, because mm. I, watching all this Doctor Who has kind of made me interested. Because the story that we are going to talk about this month is one that I had never seen. Not only had I not seen it, but... I hadn't read it. I hadn't seen the telesnaps. I hadn't seen any of the reconstructions. Nothing. Nothing at all. Because uh, today we're talking about the Troughton Doctor's mostly missing episode. So recently animated from season four. It's 1967's The Faceless Ones, penned by David Ellis and Malcolm Hulk. Uh, so had you seen this episode before you rewatched it or watched it for this discussion? I had I ha- not. I had not. This is oh. my my very first take with this story. Anybody else? I have. I saw this. Yes, I saw it about a year or so ago uh, when the British Film Institute premiered it, uh, and it was just at the point I seem to recall where public screenings were not as certain to take place as they once were. So that was the only time I've seen this this uh, story. But I I. To be honest with you, I'd listened to the soundtrack years ago. I read the book. I was very familiar with the story. Hmm. How about you, Brent? Yeah, um, I saw the missing episodes like years ago when they just stuck what they had left uh, with no connotation whatsoever. Um, and then I, I got. Sorry, one of I, the... I want to interrupt. I'm very sorry. I love the way people say this. I saw the missing episodes. No, you didn't. You saw the surviving oh, right. episodes. <laughs> the surviving episodes. Yes, yes. But everybody does it. Very good. <laughs> but isn't the collection known as the missing episodes, or is it not? I don't remember. Lost, lost, in, lost, time. In, time. lost in time. Lost in time. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's it. what it was. Yeah. Then I got the loose cannon reconstruction. So I saw all hmm. that maybe three times, I guess. And then I got this version last year. So yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I, I, I treated myself to Faceless Ones on DVD for a Christmas present uh, in preparation, knowing that that was most likely what we were going to be talking about for January. So now that we've all seen it, that's exciting. Um, The question is, uh, how did you watch it? Because the the DVD that's now released has got a couple of different um, options. You can watch it entirely animated. And if you do that, you can watch it entirely animated in black and white, or you can watch it entirely animated in color, or you can watch some black and white and some live. Uh, and there's also the Telesnap reconstruction. So what did you watch for this particular discussion? All of the above. <laughs> <laughs> but not the, not one after the other. Um, f- first of all, uh, I think it's worth mentioning, someone decided to animate all six episodes so even the two episodes that are not missing, so episodes one and three, they decided to to animate as well. And I I don't understand why they did that commercially or aesthetically or anyway, I'm, I'm not sure. Um, so I am never, ever going to watch animated episodes when the original format is available. So I watched episodes one and three uh, as transmitted. I watched two other episodes using the color animation 
um, version on the disc and the remaining two I watched uh, using the telesnap reconstruction. And I think if by watching the entire story in, in different formats, one, it doesn't feel that much of an investment in time. Watching six episodes all animated episodes, I, I find that quite difficult. Um, and I wanted to watch these one after the other. And uh, it, it, it gave me a good idea of what the characters and what the actors looked like. Uh, I could see what the original sets were like. Um, and uh, yeah, for, for me, that, that kind of hybrid approach was really, really successful. But I, I, I knew I was going to like the story anyway. Um, there's very, very few Troughton stories that I don't really like. Uh, and, and this is... This is one of the best for so many reasons. So I, I had a thoroughly enjoyable afternoon. <laughs> cool. Well, I watched, um, for the animated portions, I stuck with black and white. Um, and But I did watch the live action first and third episodes. So I, that's, and I watched one episode a night for six nights and worked through it that way. And then I went back. I was watching the characters, the aliens... I wasn't certain exactly what I was seeing in the animation. I mean, obviously they've animated them, but I, I really wanted to see what that had actually looked like in real life. And, and they don't really feature in the two live action episodes that, that exist. And so I went and watched a portion of episode two using the telesnaps. And I really do like the telesnap reconstructions mm. um, just to get a feel for what the costume looked like, which, which interestingly enough, I thought was far better realized in real life than it was animated but um yeah this was my first go at the story and i my initial reaction to it's going to be quite a bit different than james Um, there are things about it that i really liked but there is a lot about this that i found a a struggle (laughs) interesting i'm 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 very curious to get into that brent how did you watch it uh this time i watched uh just the color animation all the way through again um, so straight straight animation, no uh, right, no live action stuff. I Not love this that we're time. all doing this differently. This is great. <laughs> did, did you do that in one sitting, Brent? No, like two. And I was going to say, what well, that would be nearly three hours or two two hours forty minutes at least. Yeah, it was a couple of days. Yeah, 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 yeah. I watched them all um, yesterday, <clears throat> uh, and I watched three, and then did some stuff uh, throughout the day, and then then came back to it. But I I watched everything in black and white. I watched the uh, episodes one and three live because I agree with James. If it's available live, that's what I want to see. But I, I like the idea. I mean, I do. I wanted to get the experience because I didn't even know what the plot of the story was. I, I mean, I, I knew a basic idea and I knew some things, but I really wanted to just kind of sit and be absorbed and it is close to the original. Michelle, I got to say, I'm so envious of how you you did it. I if I could have scheduled it so I could have watched an episode over over six nights. I mean, that's my preferred way. I mean, if I could watch one episode, one classic episode a night, uh, just in general, I probably would, would enjoy that a lot more. But um, uh, I wanted to take notes and, and kind of get it as a as a story fresh in my mind. So that's, that's what I did. And um, mm. yeah, well, everyone sort of alluded to what they thought of it. Um, and I, I wanted, I'm going to just reverse this order a little bit. Brent, what was your initial... Just kind of initial thoughts on on the faceless ones. Well, I like this story. Uh, it's not bad. It's a bit drawn out, but most six parters are. Um, I don't think it ever gets boring though. I think the pace seems steady. Um, 
you know, once it starts to slow down a little bit, there's a plot twist and it keeps it going. Um, one thing I did want to say, though, about um, anyone who didn't see the first episode animated, there are some Easter eggs in here. And uh, there's a shot where it goes by, right near the beginning, it goes by the uh, security guy's office. And you can look inside the window and see on the bulletin board, there's a wanted poster for Delgado's master. (laughs) (laughs) And then underneath it, there's a wanted poster for Sasha Dewan's master. Mm. It's very funny. That that turns up again and again throughout all six episodes. And uh, again, when I watched this the first time around in the BFI, you can imagine with 450 other Doctor Who fans who, who know this story already, basically. And they keep an eagle eye out for anything like that. And... Every time you heard a ripple of noise run through the audience, you think, "What? What have I missed? What have I missed? What is it?" Oh, you know. And, <laughs> and, and there, there was a calendar in there as well. There's a, a couple of Magpie Electronics uh, references as well. So there's, there's, I think, an increasing number of these Easter eggs appearing in the animated series as they, as they progress. That's very cool. I like that. Uh, I think that adds something to it. I'm not sure how everyone else feels about it. Um, Michelle, uh, you say that you might have a, a different impression about this story. Well, uh, you know, just basic. Uh, yeah, and I and I usually think I'm pretty generous-minded when it comes to Doctor Who, but um, I just, for me, it was the pace. Uh, mostly, it was the pace. It, it, it even we had watching it one one a night, which should help with that. Um, there was just so much running around airports that didn't seem all that exciting, and then I found myself. Um, you know, picking apart plot points that didn't make sense to me, probably because I was not as engaged as I should have been with the story. But then, but there were other things I liked, and and we can get into those. But but for me, the biggest struggle really was the pace on this. And I get I, that. Yeah, but and that and yet, you know, there's other Doctor Who stories, particularly from the classic series, that other people complain about the pace, and I'll go, no, it was great. So. Compared to some of those stories from from this era, particularly the early Tritons, I mean, this was. Uh, rocket paste i mean there, there were others that are absolutely arthritic you know i mean you take a look at um i mean brent mentions on a, a a previous dwp that the web planet is 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 incredibly boring and that's mainly because if you watch it at double pace it still feels slow you know and, and compared to something like that this this story is absolutely buzzing along the lines are quick um you know you, there's not a big gap in between character exchanges in in, in dialogue um i i i think uh, don't don't try things like the macro terror i'm not sure if you've seen that animation oh yet. i like this... the macro i like the macro terror a lot oh, better than that's this. so oh, yeah. slow that's much slower i mean a character walking from one side of the screen to the other in the macro terror feels like about two days <laughs> by comparison <laughs> so um yeah i've, I've got to say you know yes the differences of opinion but on this occasion michelle's just wrong no don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I will also say that, and I I don't think this changed my enjoyment of this, but not having seen this before, not knowing the story before, I went in with a misconception. Um, there is another story that I have not yet seen where Jamie loses his face, right? And, and has somebody else's face for the while. Mind then, robber. Okay. And then the doctor has... The doctor has face, to put it together. Yeah. I had... I had that description of that plot point and with a name like the faceless ones i always thought that was this story and so i did find myself watching episode by episode wondering when that was going to happen um but i don't 
so there was that a little bit of disconnect there, but I don't think that that changed my opinion of of the story overall. Hmm. I haven't seen the I mine ha- robbers either, by the way. Well, that's an interesting one to discuss too. <laughs> yeah, um, agreed. <laughs> I'm gonna fall in the same camp as James and Brent with this one. Um, knowing almost nothing about this story, I was immediately engaged, and and I agree, uh, Michelle, that there's pacing, but I think. Given that this is a six-parter, I think how it's written um, and what is involved, the twists and the plots and the characterizations and the interactions and the quasi-companions and everything that is included in this story, it held my attention for the first three segments. Uh, And then when I came back to it, I found myself actually really curious about what was going to happen next. So much so that episode six ended and I thought it was actually episode five and that I was going to have another episode and I found myself disappointed that there wasn't more to watch. Um, I think this might be one of my favorite classic six-parters just for the amount of uh, twists and turns and characterizations and world building and interactions and I am now really excited to take a look at the, um, the book of it just to see how it how it is with all, all the kind of like extra bits cut out, uh, just kind of just giving them the meat of it. Uh, so I'm really curious. I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought because I hadn't I hadn't really heard great things about it per se. Um, so this has got a good rep it, 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 as a Troughton story. Um, it's if, if you were to ask. I would say, you know, the um, a large number of regular fans, which stories they would like to see returned. Um, I think the Faceless Ones will feature uh, in the top half of most people's lists. It's, um, you know, it, Gatwick Airport was a fantastic location. It had a bit of, well, it, it's got a bit of stasis. I mean, because it was the first location chosen for Troughton's first contemporary story. I mean, they hadn't been to Earth or, or London since the War Machines, which was some time ago. Um, and, you know, it, it, it's interesting that those two stories have, have, have both got um, the notable plot point of ditching companions partway through uh, the stories. You know, it was... Um, Dodo was unceremoniously... Not, well, she wasn't even written out. She just wasn't written back in after she left the previous <laughs> scene. Um, and, and you've got something very similar here um, with, with the Faceless Ones. I mean, fancy <laughs> fancy going into your last story as an actor. You know it's a six-parter, and then that's it. Episode two um, is, is the final the final time you appear. Uh, the uh, closing sequence for Ben and Polly's departure was filmed uh, much earlier, and then you know, bolted on the end. But the last scene in which Anique Wills films was being frozen and put in a drawer. And the <laughs> last one that uh, Michael Craze filmed, he, he'd just been frozen. You know, there's there's no... That's not just because it was made in 1967. I mean, that's just people not thinking how to write a story properly, surely, and uh, thinking it doesn't really matter because no one's ever going to watch this again. Well, and that is one of the things that I struggled with, especially when I realized, which I didn't until the end, that that was their last episode. It's like, you have got to be kidding. That's how you're writing out these characters. Um, so that that, you know, that's one of the things that bothered me. Also, you mentioned them running around Gatwick. I kept trying to tell myself that maybe running around an airport was more exciting in 1967 than, than we would consider it now. 
because particularly I felt I like consider it exciting. <laughs> I felt like we could have lost the first two episodes and it would have been a much stronger story. But all that running around and just in and out of that same set and in and out of that same room. And between but you, the same... you can say that about <laughs> any 1960s multi-part story. It's you know, almost you, nothing happened. Oh, you could talk about pacing. You could talk about <laughs> how many episodes. Or you know, it, should, it could have been done in half the time. It's it's just general statements, you know, which are about the era in which that show was made. Um, and and I, I don't have an issue with, with pacing. And I do think there is a link, certainly, to the way that you watch these stories. And I would say the way that you watched them was probably really good. But bearing in mind, back in the day, people saw this once and once a week on television sets that are vastly less clear than we're watching them even today. And I think they were so unique and there was just nothing else like it. And uh, Gatwick Airport, for me, I mean, I I do like aeroplanes. I like airports anyway, uh, even more so uh, now, um, given that they, they basically all closed down. Uh, you know, so any kind of story that features an aeroplane or an airport, I'm interested in. And I think there was a, a wonderful box set opportunity to pair this up with a story that Drew's watched recently uh, with Time Flight. <laughs> and you could have had both the London, he, the London Airport box sets, you know. You could Considering have two- I... Yeah. I watched four episodes uh, of Time Flight and then six episodes of The Faceless Ones in a 48-hour period. It really does feel like most of classic <laughs> Doctor Who takes place in an airport, uh, some in color, some in not, uh, and some more successfully. I will say this, too, Michelle. Compared to Time Flight, that's possibly why this didn't feel so um, tedious uh, because I felt the airport scenes a- agreed that you know I think if this was a four parter it would it would certainly benefit. flow better. It but that's <laughs> every single episode, every single Doctor Who story for me that is six episodes or seven episodes probably could be four episodes, and I'm including some of the greats in that. Um, the I War think- Games, you've got to be challenged on that one, Joe. Sorry, the War Games, the Silurians, Inferno. Oh, absolutely, Inferno. I, I, mm-hmm. I know you. I, I know you'll hate that, but uh, I definitely. <laughs> I, I think my opinion of Inferno is different from a lot of folks, and I know people are probably turning off their podcast now. Hearing that, I'm leaving. I, uh, <laughs> I, I still <laughs> really enjoy that story. I still really enjoy that story, but I think it could be four episodes. Um, but I say that as someone who came to Doctor Who as a modern viewer, and I know that's that's a crutch on my part. You know, that's me being someone who never experienced classic Doctor Who. Uh, at the time that it was coming out or getting the VHS. So I came in with the movie uh, and then the modern series. And so the pacing is so much different. So it does feel, but um, in the same way that I am, I I loathe the fact that I have a critical eye for Doctor Who now in in a way that I kind of wish I didn't, I will say that my 10 years or so of watching classic series um, I have gained an appreciation for the serialized approach. And I think, Michelle, the way you watched it one episode a night is is definitely the better way of doing it than what I did, which is you know watching it all basically in two sittings. But um, I don't feel that this one um, suffered because of it because I, I came in expecting there to be that sort of level of, of sameness in running through corridors, to, to you know quote a book title. Um, but I, yeah. 
I don't I don't think it's any less because yeah. of it. <laughs> he says James holding up the the, the, uh, the titular the <laughs> book right there. This, I, I will just mention it since I did hold it up and you picked up on it. Um, any sixties show uh, now, or even the seventies um, stories as well. I I immediately go and uh, read the chapter, the corresponding chapter in Running Through Corridors, which has been. Well, it was written ages ago now um, by Rob Sherman and Toby Hadoke, and it is is the best take on any of the sixties and seventies story I've I've seen in written format, and uh, I it's it's just just wonderful, and you can you find out so much about the production, and um, I think both Toby and and Rob have unique ways of uh, of examining these stories that are, you know over 50 years old now and they still bring a fresh view to it so anyway that's that that's a plug uh you, I, I don't even know if you can still find the book uh but it's it's certainly worth trying to find <laughs> yeah i've got that one too it's a great uh reference book it's great yeah i i i have them i've read bits and pieces before doing podcast or i they're somewhere in my collection of of doctor who literature uh and i think i i bought them from <laughs> Uh, Sherman himself uh, at a convention you know, some some time back, and maybe maybe if we get either of those gentlemen on the podcast, I'll do a reread beforehand. Uh, that's <laughs> something to look forward to. So, uh, how does everybody think this holds up as a classic Troughton story? I, I think it's great. Um, I, I think it's a really really strong story. I think um, Troughton starts off in a very different place uh, to, to where he has reached in in the faceless ones i think this is what the sixth story i think the sixth mm. story of his era i'm i'm doing that from memory so it might be wrong but he's the character is there uh, troughton has developed him sufficiently um so that the character we see on screen doesn't really change uh, over the remainder of the era um i i think he's funny quirky energetic i love the way he interacts with the guest cast uh, there's quite a lot of comparisons to the way the doctor interacts with the airport staff um in this story uh, to to how he does when in, in his fifth incarnation uh, in in time flight and um if, if you were to do a critical analysis drew if, if you've got to, to write one perhaps uh, perhaps you could actually focus on how the same scene effectively appears in both of those stories 20 years apart um <laughs> and it basically davison doesn't do anything different with that scene to troughton uh, and it's just as engaging and those um those minor characters all have their own personalities they all have their roles to play and i love the way that over the six episodes Troughton's doctor gradually wins the confidence of these people who dismissed him as an idiot uh, within episode one. And uh, that could well be, I don't know, a reflection of my experience of when I start meeting people in general, start talking about Doctor Who and gradually they get to know me and they realise I'm not a completely crazy, quirky Englishman. I am mainly, but not entirely. And uh, I, I think, um, oh, I, I, just, I just love the experience. So Troughton, I think, has done a wonderful job prior to this point i mean i i think he really arrived in um in the cyberman story and i can't even remember what that's called a couple of stories was it wheel was it wheel in space a couple of stories prior to this now here we go oh i'll have a look here we go what is the one the moon moon base yes. uh, the moon base yeah. which is two episodes before that for me is where the second doctor arrives and troughton doesn't move it that character again yeah, I think he's great in this story. He's very much in the character, like you said. He he walks in and demands people listen to him until he's convinced 
them that there's a threat. But later on, he does things like when the chameleons are trying to convert him, he throws a screwdriver into the machine and blows it up. And is like, oh, dear, look at that. <laughs> Little <laughs> things like that. Um, and uh, his way of ending up finding a peaceful way of ending things pretty much at the end of the story. You know, I That like, doesn't happen um, often. <laughs> right. Yeah, Patrick Troughton and the second Doctor are are great in this, and, and I, I don't have any qualms with him. He's enjoyable to watch, whether he's animated or not. Um, well, he's always animated, but you know what I mean. Um, but I also, a shout-out, one thing I really did like about this episode is the the guest cast, some of the... the yeah, the, and... I was particularly surprised and pleased at the quality of the, the female characters in this. Um, Nurse Pinto, Samantha, um, Jean, um, all of whom played really important parts in in the plot as, as you went along. But then in the end, all of them kind of stepped up uh, to help the process of, of resolving the threat. Um, many of them jumped on board with what needed to be done before like the commandant who took forever to, to come around to it. But um, no, I, I, that's one thing I did enjoy about this was watching the, the, the guest cast, um, the police, uh, the inspector. I, I enjoyed the inspector too. Um, so, so that is a strength and that was fun. That was fun to watch. Can you not land us in a nice civilized place like 1750? What's so uncivilized about 1966? Well, you can keep it. Did you say 1966? Yes. What month is it? It's uh, July, um, July the 20th, to be precise. What are you getting at? Don't you see, Duchess? July the 20th, 1966 is when it all began. We're back to when it all started. Well, I think. That means it's it's as if we've never been away. You really want to go, don't you? Well, we won't leave, Doctor, if you really need us. It is our world. Yes, I know. You're lucky. I never got back to mine. I don't think Jamie come off very well for this. Jamie come across as particularly dense, I thought, um, with a couple of exceptions. Uh, But uh, it's... I'm not particularly keen. I mean, and I am really having to reach for something I dislike about this era, but I don't like the fact when they use historical characters... Uh, in in a way that makes their lack of understanding a bit seem a bit silly, and it Comic, makes him seem yeah, because yeah, he's you know he's a Highlander and he's accepted aeroplanes in the sky pretty well. Let's face it, within twenty five minutes, flying beasties and all the rest of it. And yet, you know, when, when he's talking about ray guns, I think he's got a right to be slightly put out by the fact that people aren't accepting of uh, of that kind of technology, and they think he's an idiot. But obviously, he's just fully bought into the fact that metal uh, flies through the air. So, you know, I, I... It's almost as if he's been spending a couple of episodes in a magic box that's been traveling both through time and space. Well, there's that. <laughs> there's, there's that. I, I, just don't, I just don't like the way that they try to make him a bit slow at times. Um, I, I very much liked his uh, chemistry with uh, Pauline Collins' character. Um, it was Pauline Collins, wasn't it? I haven't got that wrong now. Yes, Samantha yeah. Briggs. Samantha, Samantha. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who, who, who clearly was being primed uh, for the next uh, for the next companion. It all fell through. And we 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 know that now. Um, however, I'm, I'm I'm not sure whether you know her dismissal of Polly 
was completely necessary. It's almost a bit like, yeah, I'm going to replace you. And the two characters don't get along. You know? And it's not dissimilar to what Polly did with uh, Dodo in The War Machines either. So interesting ways of writing these characters, I think. Well, it is a strong episode for, for quasi-characters. And actually, Michelle, something you were saying, I, I don't think I'm aware of another episode of classic series where there were so many named female characters. Uh, I know that Frontier in Space has a number of them, but they have titles like President. You know, they're, they're, their job is who they are. Uh, otherwise, they're not just like women in the background. But I think there's like four or five in this story. And there might be that might be the most I've ever seen in classic Doctor Who. Galaxy uh, 4, I, I, I think. Just, what's Wim- that? Galaxy 4, women take over the universe in short skirts. Gotcha, gotcha. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, well, I haven't seen that one. So... Uh, uh, I, I I'll, I'll stick by my statement. Um, <laughs> um, just to, just to kind of briefly go back to Troughton, um, I I think it's interesting too that Troughton normally plays the idiot and then slowly does that reverse to folks, whereas this one he starts off completely competent and then towards the end he plays dumb when he's pretending to be somebody else in order to get the information. Uh, so it, it's usually kind of the flip of what mm-hmm. we what we see with that. Uh, but I, I again, I'm just to say what everyone else is saying. The supporting cast, it really felt like every single regular character had their own companion in this series, and I think that's possibly why I felt so engaged. Is even though the regulars, who I usually enjoy watching, sort of get the short shrift and are, are you know frozen and put in drawers and such, we have such a good supporting cast that I, I'm still trying to figure out who they are and what they're doing. And I, and I think they're, they have enough energy in the story to, to keep that going. So, hey, hooray for that. It's almost like Malcolm Hulk knows what he's doing uh, as, a, it, as a writer. At, at least in terms of the character, but the plot, man, the, there's so many. Like, what is that? Why don't they keep saying, the, the chameleons keep saying, we need to kill the doctor. He knows too much. He's too smart. And then they keep not killing him. It, it's this. All they would have had to do is shoot him at some point. But no, they oh, strap them. They, they strap them. They strap them down so that this laser can gradually. Why? Why? I mean. Well, because that was straight out of Goldfinger, and yeah, it made no sense plot-wise. And yeah. and they're stealing fifty thousand young people, and only one girl recognizes that her brother's missing just because they have postcards. Really. Honestly, and yeah, I think you have to hand. I th- I, I agree, <laughs> I agree with that one. That if fifty thousand pe- fifty thousand people go missing and only one person noticed, even even in the sixties, um, <laughs> I agree with that's a point. I you can't. I and I I hate to say, it, I had to just go. All right, I'm gonna hand wave this one uh, because and, otherwise and they're hiding them in the car park. Okay, that was <laughs> and, that and, was a bit they, much. They think it's a good idea to leave a whole bunch of their originals there when, if anything happens to them, they they dissolve into slime, and they think this is a good idea. <laughs> you'll never have. You'll never find them. Um, Steve, did you remember to crack the windows? Oh, <laughs> I mean, actually, that really bothered me. That 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 because, you know, maybe it never gets warm enough in England for 
this to be a problem. But James, you've been here in the summer and you stick people in cars and it, it really is a safety concern here. So that drove me nuts. You yeah. can't leave people locked in cars. No, but- I have to admit, it, that's a frailty and it, it, it's, uh, it's something I hadn't considered. But I was going to say, have you been to Gatwick's car park? No one goes to Gatwick's car park. It's, 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 it's incredibly deserted. They are miles away from the airport. They're all well. They wouldn't have been in 1967, but they were all um, um, they're, they're all automatic. <laughs> um, so you know there, there isn't anyone there now. It's um, it's incredibly. It'd be a better idea to hide them there now than it would have been in 1967. I would suggest. But but certainly in terms of oh we must kill the doctor and they never do I'm sorry I mean think of the opportunities the Daleks have had to kill the doctor think of the opportunity the Master has had to kill the doctor you know but there's always do. there's That's... always an explanation in the script there's you know we need him we need his knowledge or we're gonna we're gonna hook you up to the mind probe before we kill you or or the Master doesn't kill him because the Master can't kill him I mean that's a whole different thing but. Um, these aliens had no reason not to kill him. There's, there's, there's well, no. They're just history. incompetent. They're just not very good. Well, there's also a certain level of bureaucracy involved with this, and I think that's in, in indicative of a Hulk story too, right? Because you've got uh, the the chameleons on the ground, and then you've got the what, what was the he director? called? The, um, the director. The director, and they they are working at cross purposes. <laughs> the because evil director. <laughs> the, the evil director. Uh, yeah. It, it. I mean, again, uh, hand waving because it's it's a, it's essentially a spy thriller of a story that takes place in an airport. I think if you took the science fiction elements out of it, um, this would be a, a pretty good spy story, um, which is what makes the the kind of sci-fi reveal um, at the in the end of the third episode so much fun. Where it, it goes, well, you know, it's like, oh, the plane has clearly crashed. Because the other alternative, it was shot straight into space, and we get that it, again. I don't know how they did it in the original show, but the animation with the plane going into space and the reveal of the space station. I'm like, yeah, this show is so damn cool. That, that, I that, love yeah, this that, show that was a good so that much. Was a good moment. It's so I got so excited, and you know, like I came upstairs to have lunch and do something, and my wife is like, "How's your show?" And I'm like, "I love Doctor Who. <laughs> I forgot how much I enjoy watching Doctor Who." And especially the experience of watching it for the first time and like not knowing what was going to happen, not knowing the companions were leaving and, and like, you know, not knowing how it was going to end and how is the doctor going to get out of it? And yes, that laser feels completely derivative to <laughs> the Goldfinger, but, but that's fine. You know, I actually thought the uh, I know the postcards are not uh, the, the perfect answer for uh, 50,000 people disappearing. 500 people? Probably. 50,000? Not a chance in hell. But I'd still like the idea that the thought was put into it. They came up with that idea and went, well, you know, I feel like some some of the minutia was thought about. And again, Hulk script. You know, as I, yeah. as I am slowly nearing the completion of watching everything that has ever come out for Doctor Who, uh, my appreciation for Hulk grows and grows and grows and grows. Was this his first story? It's not one... I think it's this is his first one i think mm. i'd have to go back i don't i don't remember one before this one i think he was offered a first series story at one point in time the the opposite there's like an opposite planet yeah um, um I, I will just mention i i i do note the fact that your wife asks you how's the show whereas mine asks me is it finished yet so <laughs> <that's>... <laughs> 
especially if I'm watching it in the lounge. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what is the importance of July 20th, 1966? It seems to pop up a lot. Oh man, this is so good. I know James referenced this, and I was like, "Is is there something in the in the UK culture that makes July 20th important?" Because it is by far and away the most important date in Doctor Who. <laughs> if there is, then I, I don't know what it is. <laughs> so, as far as I'm aware, it's purely the date that um, companions arrive or leave. Or TARDISes are stolen, right? Yeah. Because there are three Doctor Who stories that take place on the same day in the classic era. That's that's interesting. Well, War Machines, this one, and what's the other one? Is it uh, Evil of the Daleks? Well, that's just because, because it leads right on into it. Well, so. yeah, Evil of the Daleks follows this directly, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. 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 it's the, it's yeah, the same day. Nice. So it's yeah. the only connection is it that that's the day he picked up Ben and Polly, and so that when they find they've gotten back to that day, you, you better take your chance to leave when you can. Um, yeah. And then the next story just take it's the same day when they walk out that the airport looking for the TARDIS. Uh, that goes right into the next story. So, so it is an incredible coincidence then that the TARDIS just materializes on the 20th of July. And it's 1966, isn't it? It just happened to be released in 67, I think, the story. but Yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right, yeah. Yeah, it's yeah, about, but, had to but get, I, yeah no. they had to get Ben and Polly back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's, that's, in, that's a bit convenient, isn't it? I, you know, <laughs> I my my knowledge of the... The novelization, not the novelizations, but the novels and the big Finnish audios is is not as good as you folks. Is there another story that touches on that? Is there another story that is a non-television story that takes place on the same date? Because if it hasn't, I feel like it's it's due. We, we reference the show's history so often. I'm actually surprised. This really feels like kind of a Moffat thing. It feels like something Moffat probably would have touched on. I, I'm I have, not aware. I have no idea. Um, I'm I'm rapidly googling now uh, to try and find <laughs> out because I because I, I I think it should be. <laughs> yeah. Twentieth of July, nineteen sixty-six. Okay. Well, while you're looking at that information, uh, let me ask everybody this: um, Is is uh, this a story that you think you'll revisit in the future? Not for a podcast, you know, <laughs> like casually on your own. Is this something that that you would come back to? Or in your case, Michelle, what would it take for you uh, to no, go you back? Know, and- I, did, I didn't hate this. I, 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 don't, I shouldn't leave you with that impression. I, for me, it, it's, it's a very middling story. And like I said, there's some things I really liked about it. There's some things I really didn't like about it. I would watch it again probably someday when I'm working my way chronologically through the episodes. Hmm. Um, you know, I, it, this is... Not what I'm going to rush back to, but I would I would certainly watch it again. And if if history repeats itself as it usually does with Doctor Who, I'll probably enjoy it more the next time I watch it. Um, but but yeah, no, I I if it didn't have the first two episodes, if all the stuff of the first two episodes could have been condensed into episode three, I think I would have been. And and if they'd corrected some of the plot points, um, I think I'd have been a much happier camper. But no, I don't I don't dislike this enough not to want to see it again at some point. How about you, Brent? Uh yeah, I would. Um, especially if there's a season four Blu-ray set coming out sometime, mm-hmm. I'm sure I'll see it then too. Oh yeah, that's actually that's a good point. Um, do we have all of the episodes from season four now? Or I guess it's I Evil so. of the Daleks is the one we don't. It's the next one that we need, isn't it? I think that's the I mean, the Which last is, one. It's rumored uh, to be the next one uh, to be animated, but I I think it, an announcement was due. 
some time ago but as with everything it's been delayed but certainly fandom expects evil of the daleks to be the next animation yeah you know and I'll, I'll also say that one thing i like about this dvd release is that it has so many options someday i would like to see the colored version which i didn't happen to choose this time uh and i'm sure someday i'd like to see the telesnaps because i i, I tend to really enjoy uh the telesnaps or the loose cannon type versions i i find those pretty watchable and 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 again i i i we haven't talked about the animation but i wasn't that excited about the animation on this one i've, I've liked the animation better on some other releases that have come out and so I certainly found with the five or ten minutes of Telesnap's reconstruction that I saw that it gave me a much better feel for some of the things like the alien features and, and even some of the sets and things. So I'll watch that at some point. I think that as the animated series come out, I get more and more used to that sort of... Uh, the. This is a style that it's animated. And I, I like this one. I think there are uh, definitely lesser animated stories that are out there and this one this one held my attention there's a there's a comic artist named jamie hewlett and i feel like in in some sense that the the characters particularly samantha um it reminded me of of that particular artist style which i appreciate um and i i i'll be honest i might uh graduate the next semester is coming so i'm not going to be doing anything fun uh for the next three months but when that semester is over, I think I probably will revisit this. I do want to watch episodes one and three animated. I probably will watch them in color just to get that. And I think I would like to watch the telesnaps, particularly, as Michelle said, to see what the alien design looked like, to see the, the chameleons. I've yeah. seen a, a telesnap of it. I didn't realize that's what I was looking at, um, or like a still of it, maybe in a book or something along those lines. Um, but just the, the, the concept of the chameleons as a culture and what their their kind of roundabout way of taking care of this problem i I found it really intriguing and it sort of reminded me of the zygons a little bit and how we've we've kind of dealt with the zygons um yeah i i definitely will will come back to this story And, and like i said earlier i think i'd like to read the novelization of it first uh and just see how i think terrence dix wrote that so that's always fun. Though it is it's always a safe I, bet. <laughs> it is. Okay, yeah, true. But part of it is like kind of wish it was Malcolm Hulk, you know, like uh to to see if he expounds on uh any of his ideas. And I say his ideas, I know he co-wrote this, but since I don't know anything about the other Ellis, the other author, um I'm I'm g- going to ignore it and just assume that they're an incredibly competent television writer and if everybody wants to um comment on on ellis's other works that you think i should watch then please respond to us on on facebook either at who and company or at the dwp facebook page um anything uh well i I guess michelle you kind of touched on it a little bit but i'm I'm kind of curious if anybody watched any of the special features on the dvd yeah i did yeah brent what did you what what do they have uh, well, other than the color and the black and white versions, like we said, there's also the surviving episodes along with the, uh, reconstructions of the others. There's surviving footage and there's a really nice 30 minute featurette on the animation process for this particular story. And you can really see that these people don't just throw this thing together. They really carefully think out every detail and very meticulous in how they do it. It's very impressive. And, uh, I... I we're just really lucky as a fandom to have such dedicated people recreating a show like this. I don't think there's 
very many other shows that have this much dedication trying to recreate a 50-year-old story. Um, there's also a trailer for Fury from the Deep, which was the next one to be released, which is also really great. I still have not seen that one. I'm not sure the reconstructions on here were original um, or whether they've been put together specifically for this this release. I'm not Be- sure. No, I, I did wonder. I mean, there's there's loads of reconstructions available if you if, if you go looking for them on the internet of all of the stories that uh, went missing. Um, however, this this one didn't just have tele snaps; it had small bits of motion as well. So it it kind of interlinked it with some of the stock footage used of Gatwick Airport and every now and again where you could have something moving like the radar uh, they could just pick it up from another episode and plonk it in so it's not completely static um, but the, uh, the the soundtrack is is vastly improved uh, I think uh, on the telesnap option uh, but I, I've not seen any of the other special features on here yet uh, it's um, something that I'd very much like to see but uh, but but on the whole um, I, I just wanted to say that I, I agree very much with what Brent said and the uh, the team that they have on here. I think the whole idea was to have two sets or two companies working on animation so that they could speed up the rate of release rather than just waiting uh, for one production to end before they start another. And I think that worked a little, uh, but obviously it results in slightly different styles of animation because they don't share all of the technical stuff with each other. Uh, but but for me, the animation is something that they're never going to make so brilliant uh, that I'm going to really look forward to viewing an animated as a story. Um, it, it's always going to be the best option available to me. I accept that um, until they find... Well, I say until they find the original stories, um, but uh, but on the whole, I, I I do agree. I still think these releases are fantastic, e- even down to the double-sided Blu-ray uh, inlay. Uh, you you've you've got two. You've got this new picture, and on the reverse of it, you've got exactly the same format as the DVDs. So if you know, not that Doctor Who fans are known for their OCDness in any way, shape or form, but if, if if you would like to have a matching set of covers that goes back all the way to the Five Doctors when it was released on DVD twenty years ago, then you can do that. Um, because you can have your version of the faceless ones matching those um those those early stories. Well we appreciate both of you being here again this month and um before we wrap up, is there anything you want to plug for us? Well, you see, now I, I don't know whether I should now, you see, because uh, <laughs> I, I kind of feel like I should say absolutely there is and go on for the next five minutes, but I'm, I'm assuming that's not what you want. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing you don't already know about. No, right. there you go. Yeah, get in touch with us. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. Plug, well, then- we'll plug feedback. Feedback is always welcome and much loved. Well, sure. Uh, if you would like to leave feedback for Who and Company, we can be found on the Who and Company website. If you want to ask us any questions, you can find us at Who and Company at Libsyn.com to find more episodes. We're also on Twitter by at Who and Company. How about the DWP? It's feedback at the Doctor Who Podcast.com or on Twitter at the DR Who Podcast, or you can search us up on Facebook. Well, James, Michelle, thank you again for, for joining us in our little January tradition. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much for having us. Yes. And thank you for joining us at Who and Company. Who and Company, come for the fandom. Stay for the company. 
Thanks for joining us at Who & Company. Special shout out to Pixel Who for providing our logo. They can be found at facebook.com slash pixelwho. Who & Company can be found on iheartradio.com and Spotify. Or you can download the show directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. Contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany. Support the show at patreon.com slash whoandcompany. Or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. Thanks, and see you next month. How about, James, you want to uh, plug the DWP? I can indeed, yes. If you want to get in touch with us at the Doctor Who podcast, it's feedback at the Doctor Who podcast. Pa- no editing required there, Brent, at all. Apart from that bit, <laughs> <laughs> it's feedback at the Doctor Who podcast.